0: Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Just get sorted here for a start. Uh, it's so good uh, to be here with you. Thank you so much, Curtis, for inviting me uh, to come along. I always consider it uh, a blessing, a privilege to get to share God's Word uh, wherever it is. So thank you. Uh, for inviting me. It's great to see familiar faces um, from football uh, down in Porto Vogue. Uh, Thank you for coming. It's great to see people who I know from going to the men's convention every year along with you and even it's great to see faces I don't know. Uh, So thank you all for for coming along. Um, For those who don't know me, Curtis said, um, my name's Jack. I'm 29. I live up in Newton I go to church in Newton I work up in Shorts in um, Belfast but I became a Christian three days after uh, my 18th birthday. I gave my heart to the Lord and I have never, ever, ever looked back since. It is the best decision I have ever made in my life to follow Jesus, to follow him, to make him the Lord of my life. I'm always grateful and I'm always looking for ways by which I can serve God. And I'm always grateful when he opens a door where I can speak, where I can share a testimony, where I can play guitar, whatever it is, I'm always grateful. And I love to share the gospel message. And I love to hear the gospel. I love sharing the gospel. To think that this message, this good news message can literally take someone out of death and bring them into life. That is good news. To think that this message is life changing. And I think of myself, how God took me a sinner. He made me new. He forgave me. He cleansed me. He restored me. He renewed me. He gave me purpose. And by his grace, he saved me. And this good news, this gospel, is only possible because of Jesus. It's all because of him. As he, the Lamb of God, came into this world to take away our sins. And just as God has done it for me and done it for many people here tonight, he can do it for you as well. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in your place so that you could know forgiveness, so that you could know God, so that you could know the promise of eternal life. Tonight I want to read two pieces of Scripture, uh, one from the Old Testament and one uh, from the New Testament. And then I just want to share three Brief points uh, from that. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me in God's Word. The first reading is found in Numbers 21, and we'll read verses 4 to 9. Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9. Some of you, I'm sure, will be familiar with this uh, piece of Scripture, but uh, we'll read it together. Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9. The second reading tonight is in the New Testament. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. John 3, verses 14 and 15. This is Jesus speaking here. John three fourteen and 15. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here in the first reading, Numbers 21, we're picking up the story of the children of Israel who were to wander in the wilderness for 40 years after rejecting the promised land which God has given to them. Numbers 21 is approximately 39 years into this wandering. And in this 39th year, a lot has happened. Miriam has died, Aaron has died, and now we have this, the bronze serpent. In the past, the Lord has given Israel victory, He's given them victory over this Canaanite king, King Arad. And as they continue on their journey, they had to take the long way around. They had to go by the land of Edom as they were not permitted to pass through. However, it's on this route when they begin complaining. They begin to question God, question Moses, ask him why they've been brought out of Egypt and into this wilderness. Was it all just for them to die? They were complaining that they had no food, no water, And they were sick of eating the same thing day after day after day. We then read that God punishes them by sending these poisonous snakes. The people, they're pretty quick to realize that they've sinned. And they go to Moses and they ask him for help. Moses goes to God and he prays. And God tells him, make this bronze serpent. Set it on a pole. And if anyone looks at this who has been bitten by the snake, they will live. Now you can read this chapter in Numbers 21 and you can ask a lot of questions. I did when I read it first. Why would God continue to show his faithfulness to these people when they were unfaithful? Why would he continue to give them victory? Then why would the Israelites complain towards God and towards Moses when when God and Moses had done so much for them in the past? They brought them out of Egypt. God was feeding them every day. And then why would God punish his own people with poisonous snakes? That seems very harsh, doesn't it? And then why would God, after he punished his own people, make a way by which they could live? But when you look at this passage in Numbers 21, you can't help but look and see God's grace and mercy shining through. And tonight, personally, I am thankful for the mercy and grace of God in my life. Those times when he has not given me what I've so much deserved. And when his grace has stepped in and given me what I have not deserved. Where would we be tonight if not for the mercy and grace of God? Not only can I see God's grace and mercy at work in Numbers 21. But also I see a great resemblance between those days and the days that we're living in now. These days of darkness. These days of sin, these times of rebellion, rejection of God, a time when people really needed the Lord. As I said, tonight I have three short points. I want us all to look at three things. I want us to look at three things from this passage. The first thing I want us to do, I want us to look around. Look around. Numbers 21, verses 4 to 5. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food in the water, and we loathe this worthless food. Try to imagine that situation in your own mind, in your own head tonight. The people of Israel have been on this journey for nearly 40 years. 40 years of wandering, that's a long time. If someone tells me to wait five minutes, I'm already tapping my foot, counting down the time. But they've been wandering for nearly 40 years. They'd had their fair shares of ups and downs. They'd experienced both victories and defeats. But it's while they're on this particular route... When they're taking the long way round Edom, it says in verse 4 that they became impatient on the way. We all know what that's like to become impatient. It's like that time when you're going on a long journey and you're driving down the road and you have to take a diversion. You see that big yellow sign with the arrow saying diversion this way. Or you're going on a long journey with your family down south or wherever you're going. And there's always that one person in the car. He starts going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? What time will we get there? How long's left? How long's left? Maybe that's your children in the car with you. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. Or maybe it's you yourself. But we have all done that. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We become impatient on the way. For the people of Israel, after nearly 40 years of wandering, this anger, this impatient nature within them, it begins to boil up. And it boils over into harsh words against the Lord and against Moses. And in both their attitudes and their words, they begin to test God. And that is a dangerous thing to do. To put God to the test. Paul says in Corinthians 10 and 9, We must not put Christ to the test. As some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. It was the same old complaint coming from the people of Israel about how Moses had brought them out of Egypt only to die in the wilderness and how there was nothing to eat, this same old food. And in the midst of these difficulties, while they're on their daily march towards where they're going, they'd forgotten God's promise to them. They'd forgotten God's promise that they would enter the promised land and claim it as their home. All this time, all along this way, God had been providing for them, feeding his people with the exact nourishment that they needed. The Lord would send them a daily supply of manna from heaven each morning. This happened each and every single day for 39 years since they left Egypt. Just as the Lord had told them, we read of it back in Exodus 16. And this food, this manna that the Lord was sending... It's described as like a coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The psalmist in Psalm 78 and 25 calls it the bread of angels. This manna was bread from heaven. But the people, they'd got so accustomed to it. They'd got so accustomed to their blessing that they detested it and began to call it good for nothing food. They were scoffing at it. Or as we would say today, they were turning their nose up at it. They were scoffing at the very bread from heaven. You know, if we look around, if we look around our world today, what do we see? We see people scoffing at the bread of heaven. Turning their nose up at the gospel. Turning their nose up at the good news that Jesus saves. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, there's a crowd and they come to Jesus. And they're asking him, they're, they're wanting to see a sign in order that they might believe. They even ask him if he would show them a sign like the great miracle of manna in the wilderness. And in John's Gospel, chapter 6 and 32, Jesus answers this crowd and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true Bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he. He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Obviously today God is not sending manna from heaven. But he has. He has said something greater. He has sent his only son Jesus. Who is the true bread of heaven. The bread of life. And if we look around today, if we look around our country, if we look around our towns, if we look around our land and our villages, what are people doing? Just like the Israelites, they're still scoffing at the bread of heaven. They're still scoffing at Jesus and rejecting him. The world and society today are moving further and further away from God. Isn't that how it seems? People no longer respect the word of God. They no longer are so open to hearing or listening to the preaching of the gospel. The good news message of Jesus, it's just become so familiar to so many. We've all heard people say, I've heard that all before. It's lost meaning to them. They're dead to it. Their hearts have become hard to the gospel. Even if we look around today in our land and we look at how our land is led... Our country, once led by the Word of God, once founded upon the Word of God, is led by politicians, of which fewer and fewer are willing to stand up for God. They're no longer turning to the Word of God for directions or calling out to Him for guidance, but it's all about pleasing people and fulfilling your own personal agenda as Jesus is just pushed to the side. We look around in our land and see the sinful proposals and laws that are being pushed and passed. We think of same-sex marriage. The Bible calls it an abomination. We think abortion as it's forced on us. It's murder of innocent babies in the womb. We look around our schools. Fewer and fewer Christian influence is allowed. As schools talk less about Jesus... They're teaching less and less about him. There's less Christian assemblies. It's all become very secular and humanistic. You go out today and you talk to a young person. They don't care about Christ. They have no time for the gospel. Jesus is but a swear word to them. Children are no longer sent along to church week by week. They're no longer brought up to fear the Lord. Just look around. Just have a look around. And see people today still complaining, still groaning, still mocking, still laughing, still turning their noses up and scoffing at the bread of life, at Jesus Christ himself. Is that you tonight? Scoffing, laughing, complaining, showing no respect for God or for his word? Well, listen carefully tonight. Because God, God Almighty, He will not be mocked. Do not come and say that you've heard it all before, that you don't have time for it. It's not for me. It's not for you. Do not believe the lie of the enemy as the world tries to tell you that it has something better to offer. Do not scoff at the very bread of heaven, but rather, as the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. John 6 and 35, Jesus says these words. He says, speaking of himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, true life, true satisfaction, true joy, fulfillment and peace can only be found in Jesus. Yes, We can look around our world. You can take time and look around and see how deep in sin and darkness it is. But you know, there is something else, something else that needs to be done. Something else that at some point in all of our lives, we all need to do. And this is my second point. We all need to look at ourselves. You need to look at yourself. I'm pretty confident in saying that the majority of people here tonight have at least once today looked at themselves in a mirror or a reflection in a car window as you're walking past to make sure your hair's sitting right, to make sure you haven't got toothpaste on your mouth or you haven't spilt your dinner down your shirt. We all do it. We all look at our reflection. Some people just do it more than others. And the days we live in, it's all about vanity. It's all about image and how we look. That's a big thing. It's all about our appearance and having the nice clothes, having the nice hair, having the nice shoes or whatever it is. But tonight when I tell you to look at yourself, I don't mean to go and stand in a mirror. I don't mean to go and look at yourself and critique your clothes or your shoes or whatever. When I say to you all that we need to look at ourselves, I'm talking about something much more important. And that is to look within ourselves. The Bible, the Word of God, it talks about examining ourselves. Looking at our spiritual condition before Almighty God. Examining our hearts and making sure that we're right with Him. Jeremiah speaking about our heart. In Jeremiah 17 and 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand it? And in Numbers 21, the Israelites They have this moment. They had a moment when they looked at themselves. They looked at themselves and they realized that they had done wrong. In verse 7, this is what it says. Numbers 21. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. They come before Moses. They come to Moses and they admit that they had done wrong. They come to him and they utter those words and they say, we have sinned. This is a significant moment. and Because although in the past they'd made many mistakes, they'd fallen before, this was significant because this is the first time they actually come with sincerity and they say we have sinned and for all of us here tonight we all need to come to a point in our lives when we look at ourselves when we look within and we examine our hearts and we realize we have sinned I have sinned you have sinned that we are all sinners and we desperately need a saviour. This applies to us all. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. The Bible makes it clear when it says, For all for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all born in sin. We are all shaped in iniquity. Ever since the fall of mankind, sin has stained our hearts. And it's our sin. It's our sin that separates us from the most holy God. It's our sin that will bring judgment upon us. In Numbers 21, the Lord, He punishes the Israelites by sending the serpents as they complained about the bread from heaven. And today, for those Who scoff and mock and laugh and reject Christ, judgment will come upon them too. There will be a time when all sin, all sin will be judged, and you do not want to be caught. You do not want to be caught out among the crowds rejecting Jesus. At some time in our lives, either when we die or if the Lord returns. We all must stand before him as our judge. We all must give an account for our lives. And the outcome of this judgment will be either one of two things. Where will we spend eternity? Will it be in heaven with Christ? Or will it be lost in hell forever? Where will you spend eternity? If you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, then my friend, you will spend eternity lost in hell forever. A place of utter darkness, a place of torment, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But if you come before God, if you look within yourself and examine your heart and you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, if you come before Him and confess your sin and you say, I have sinned, and you ask him to come into your heart and to forgive you of that sin, forgive you of the wrong you have done, you will receive him as your Lord and your Savior. The Bible, it says that he, God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can be saved. You can be cleansed. You can be forgiven. You can be reconciled. Onto God. You can know Him personally. You'll no longer have to fear judgment. You'll no longer have to fear death or hell or any of that. But you can know. You can know the promise of eternal life. You can know what it is to have your sins forgiven. You can know the assurance of a place in heaven that is prepared for you. This all starts with looking at yourself examining your hearts and uttering those words before Christ I have sinned Romans 10 and 9 it says because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved salvation from sin it is possible but only because of Jesus, who through the cross has made a way for us all, that we can be saved. Romans 6 and 23, you know it, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yes, we can look around, And we can see the world in darkness and in sin. We can look within our own hearts tonight and see our sinful state before God Almighty. However, you know you could spend all day looking within your own heart. You could spend all day examining yourself. And I can tell you this, that within you, yourself, you'll never find anything good. But there is a third thing for you to look at. There is something which is far better. There is something that is more than good tonight that you can look at. This is my final point. Look onto Jesus and live. Look onto Jesus and live. As I mentioned at the start, in this passage in Numbers 21, we can see God's grace and mercy shining through. And even though the people, they came and they spoke out against God and Moses. After their confession of sin, they asked Moses to pray. He asked, they asked him to pray to the Lord on their behalf. And God in his grace and mercy, he hears their plea, their cry for help. And he makes a way of escape. Did the people really deserve the punishment and the consequences that would follow? They did. They absolutely did. They disobeyed God. They were disobedient and spoke out against him. They deserved it. Was it required of God that he should provide a way of escape out of this situation that the people of Israel found themselves in? No. It wasn't required of God to make a way of escape. But Peter says and tells us in the New Testament that we serve a God who is the God of all grace. Verses 8 and 9 of Numbers 21. 21. And the Lord said to Moses make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The people of Israel asked Moses to pray and he interceded on their behalf and God provided a remedy. God instructed Moses, "Go and make a serpent, a serpent of brass and put it on a pole and lift it up where all could see it. Then anyone who is stricken, who looked at the serpent would be immediately healed. If any of those who had been bitten looked at the serpent, they would be made well again. God made a way that they could look and live. And for all of us, we have all been bitten by sin." And we deserve nothing because of our rebellion and disobedience towards God. But He, in His grace and His mercy and His love, He has made a way through His only Son, Jesus, that we too, tonight, that you tonight, can look and live. A physical look at this bronze serpent saved the people from a physical death, but a look of faith. Unto the Lord Jesus Christ saves from an eternal death. If we go back now to the other piece of scripture we read together. In John's gospel chapter 3 and verse is 14 and 15. From the New Testament. The words of Jesus as he's speaking. Talking about his own death on the cross that was to come. He likens it to the serpent on the pole. And he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. As the serpent was lifted up on the pole, so the Son of God would be lifted up on a cross. And that is the gospel. That is the good news, that God gave His only Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world fully God and fully man, as the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, to die, to be crucified on a cross, a horrific, humiliating, excruciating death in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, he could have rightfully come as our judge, but rather in love, he came to this world as our savior. And he died on the cross. He became the uplifted serpent so that sinners, wretched sinners like me and you can look onto him by faith and live. But why? Why would God instruct Moses to put a serpent on a pole? And then why in John's gospel would Christ liken himself onto a serpent? Doesn't it seem kind of strange and odd that out of all the animals he could have made or likened himself onto... He chooses the serpent in the wilderness on the pole. But you see, Moses, he made a model of a serpent because the serpent was the very creature that was causing the people to die. And so it is with the crucifixion of Christ because on the cross, as Christ was lifted up, he became the very thing that is killing all of us and killing our souls. Jesus became sin for us. As he hung upon the cross, With a crown of thorns upon his head. As they drove the nails into his hands. And into his feet. As he shed and poured out his precious blood. He took upon himself your sin. And your shame. He took your place and your punishment. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 it says. He made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. In Him. tonight there is only one way by which we can be saved there is only one way to the father there is only one remedy and cure for our sin and it's by the blood of Jesus it's only through Christ and Christ alone salvation cannot be bought with money it cannot be achieved through your good works or charitable deeds it cannot, cannot be granted to you by some man or woman, a priest or a minister. It's not based on being good or nice or any of that. You must look. You must look by faith onto Jesus. Look by faith unto him and live. Believe in him and have eternal life. Repent from your sin. Turn away from it and be saved. Isaiah 45 and 22, it says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. You see, Moses, he didn't make this bronze serpent and hide it away somewhere. He didn't make it and hide it away in the tabernacle, no. He lifted it up on a pole. He put it on a pole and placed it where everybody could see it, where everyone could see it and and veil of its healing power. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he was not hidden when he was crucified, but it was public. Outside the city of Jerusalem, the writer of Hebrews tells us that he was crucified outside the gate. And this gospel message, this good news that Jesus Christ saves, that has been proclaimed down through the years and even here tonight, it's for all of us to hear. That we can look unto Jesus and live and be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The salvation Christ offers is personal and individual to each one of us. If only we will look by faith unto him and live. As I bring this message To a a close, I want us just to try and imagine again that day. In Numbers 21, the people of Israel, imagine the joy. Imagine the joy that flooded that camp when word finally broke out among them that there's a cure, it's available for everyone who's been bitten. That Moses, he's made this serpent, he's put it on a pole, he's lifted it up and all you have to do is look. All you have to do is look in it and you'll be healed. You can live. It was so simple. It was so easy. Just imagine the joy. Imagine the floods of people rushing just to catch a glimpse of this serpent on a pole. Mothers, fathers grabbing their children. We need to go. We need to look at this serpent on the pole. Whole families gathering together to go and see. To be cured. To be weighed well. To be made whole again. Well, this means that therefore there would be only two types of people. There would only be two types of people who would not be delivered from these serpents. The first type of people would be those who didn't know about it. They just didn't know that the serpent was on the pole and you had to look at it. The second type of people would be those people who just didn't look. They just didn't look at it. Everything was done. Everything was ready. The cure was available. But for some reason, they just didn't look. Maybe they had a reason. Maybe they had an excuse. Maybe they, ha- they thought they had something better to do that day. But none of those really mattered because if you didn't look, you wouldn't live. And tonight, I'm telling you the good news That there is a remedy for sin available. That the work has been done, completed and finished at Calvary. Sinners can be forgiven, washed white as snow by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus said in John 3, 15, Whoever believes in me may have eternal life. Believe in Jesus tonight. You can have eternal life. And that is my prayer that anyone who listens to this message or who is here tonight who is not a Christian, or oh, that you would bow the knee, that you would repent of your sin and be cleansed in the blood and receive Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior, that you would know what it is to have your sins forgiven and the promise of eternal life. Will you look at Jesus tonight and live? Look on to him by faith and live. In 1918, a woman called Helen Lamell wrote a hymn with these words. It says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look around. Look around today in our world and see it all in chaos, in darkness and in sin. Look at yourself. Examine your heart and look within. See your sinful state before Almighty God. Then look on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look onto Jesus and live. Amen. Thank you.